This show is about your mental health. While it's supported by the pillars of positivity and hope, if you find yourself in crisis, please reach out for help. In many communities in both the United States and Canada, you can dial 211 to be connected to mental health and crisis services in your region. While it may seem like it at times, you are not alone. Starting now, three, four, five, until now, 21 new lives came into the world. Every minute, 250 babies are born. Add that now to the 7.8 billion of us already here. That's a lot of people. Why then are we lonelier now than any other time in recent history? There's never been more of us. We've never been better connected. So how is it possible that one in five Canadians, three in five Americans, identify as being lonely? With COVID isolation, these numbers are rising. This is much more than just wanting to be popular. Interacting with others is actually in our DNA. We need to be around people to be healthy. If we don't, a former Surgeon General of the U.S., Dr. Vivek Murthy, wrote, loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Think about that. Feeling alone increases your risk of an early death by 26%. So if COVID doesn't get us, will the isolation do us in instead? So serious is this threat, the government of the United Kingdom has created a minister of loneliness. A minister of loneliness. I'm going to talk with a woman who was instrumental in making this happen. There is a cure to loneliness. Let's increase your lifespan, shall we? I've said it before and I'll say it again. You are not alone right now on The Happy Molecule. Welcome, everybody. Throughout December, we're working on beating holiday depression. Loneliness is a formidable enemy, never more than this Christmas season. Many people, sadly, will be separated. When I was looking into loneliness, it's very hard to to quantify loneliness. It's very abstract. So I'm looking at different definitions. I found this on Wikipedia. It's actually the very first line. It describes it perfectly. Loneliness is an unpleasant emotional response to perceived isolation, social pain. Unpleasant emotional response to perceived isolation. It's really important to to take note of that word perceived. Because even if we may not be lonely, even if we may be in a crowd, if we perceive ourselves to be alone, then we are officially lonely. Let me tell you a story. During the summer of 2015, a rookie British MP, Joe Cox, was making a name for herself for bringing divided communities together, essentially working to make her constituents less lonely. A year later, though, she would be dead, shot and stabbed by a right-wing extremist. Carrying on her legacy, her husband Brendan and her sister Kim Ledbetter lobbied the government to create a ministry of loneliness And in 2018, it indeed happened. The Joe Cox Foundation was formed. They have declared war on loneliness, as you will hear. Kim reveals she has still not processed her sister's death, but she doesn't want it to be in vain. She speaks with me from her home in West Yorkshire. Oh, Kim, I I adore your sister. I didn't know her, and now doing the research on her, I just think she's fantastic. 
Oh, thank you very much, Kevin. That's really lovely to hear. Yeah, she was a, a very special person in lots of different ways. Tell me a little bit about Joe Cox. So Joe was my older sister, which nobody believed because she looked so young, much younger than me. Um, but we were best of friends growing up. We did everything together, whether it was BMX cycling or fame dancing or going to the girl guides or whatever. Um, and Joe was really just one of the nicest, kindest people you could hope to meet. And I know people say that when, when people pass away, but um, she really was. Um, she was dizzy and a bit, a bit um, forgetful and thoughtless on occasions because she was always thinking about the big picture rather than some of the day-to-day -day things that we, we have to think about. Um, you know, she made some silly mistakes. She forgot to take her bike on a cycling holiday and <laughs> never, had any, never had any money on her or the right clothes to wear. So she was you know, but she she genuinely really cared about people. And, you know, she'd worked in the voluntary sector for nearly 20 years in some of the, the, the most difficult countries in the world, war zones and areas where people had little food or water and, and, and often very little hope. And the reason she came back to enter British politics was because she wanted to make a difference to people's lives in the community where we grew up. So I always describe Jo first and foremost as a humanitarian. She cared about people and she wanted to make a difference to those less fortunate than, than we were when, when we were kids and were surrounded by love and, and had each other. I'm going to jump around a little bit in, in the timeline that uh, is her life. And I'm going to jump right to June 16th, 2016, when she was senselessly murdered by uh, a right-wing extremist. Tell me a little bit about that. To be honest, I don't think about that day very much. Um, I am very honest and open that I haven't processed Joe's murder. I haven't dealt with what happened. Um, what I have done is get my head down and work as hard as I possibly can to create a powerful legacy for Joe and to do things that she would be proud of, but also that sadly the country and in many ways the world needs because there was a huge sense of division at the time of Joe's murder. Um, we were dealing with the Brexit referendum in the UK. Um, there was a lot of divisiveness in politics and in communities as a result of that. And sadly, in the last four and a half years, we've seen some of those issues get worse. Um, and then obviously this year, we've ended up in the middle of a global pandemic. So I think my way of coping, or you could argue my way of not coping, has been to really channel my energy into doing all this fantastic work that I know Joe would be extremely proud of. Um, and surrounding myself with, with wonderful people who have kept me and, and my parents going in that way. Um, so that, that's, like I said, been my way of coping. But I do feel that you know, Joe's murder had a really profound impact on not only our local community, not only the UK, but around the world. And the fact that a young woman going about her daily work, trying to help people, could be taken in such a brutal way, I think resonated, as I say, globally. Um, you know, the tributes that came in for Joe from across the world um, were hugely moving and heartwarming. And, and I have a whole, a whole loft full of you know, remembrance cards and books of condolence from, yeah, from literally all over the place. So, yeah, I'm not sure if that answers the question, but that's probably as, as able as I am to, to sort of talk about that time. I guess what I'm trying to find is the connection between this senseless death and 
moving towards having an, a minister of loneliness. Yeah, so the, so the, the work that Joe had started on loneliness um, came as a result of knocking on doors when she was campaigning. And what she observed was that lots of times people wanted to speak, but they didn't particularly want to speak about politics. <laughs> they just wanted <laughs> to chat. And they wanted, they saw this lovely young woman who was very happy to have a nice conversation and, and they embraced that and, 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 and really got something positive from it. And I think that was sort of the first thing that triggered Joe's inter interest in the issue. Plus she had her own personal experience. Um, as I've said, when Joe and I were children, we were very, very close. And then when Joe went to university, she went to Cambridge University, a very, very high profile university in the south of England. And as a northern working class girl, she found it really difficult. And this was the time before mobile phones, before email. And she was really lonely for her first year there, particularly. I was equally very lonely up here in West Yorkshire without my big sister. Um, and she'd got that personal experience to draw upon. She then had these conversations with local people. She started to dig a little bit deeper and did some research, um, working alongside organisations who, who work on loneliness and found that this is a fairly big problem. And it's a fairly big problem for quite a broad range of people. We have the stereotypical older person living on their own who we might think would be susceptible to loneliness. But actually, we're all vulnerable at various different times in our life particularly when changes happen in our lives, we're all vulnerable to feeling lonely um, and isolated. So she set up the Joe Cox Commission on Loneliness um, on a cross-party basis, so cutting, cutting across the political divides, as Joe liked to do, as we like to do as an organisation. Um, so she worked with a Conservative politician, Seema Kennedy. And then after Joe's murder, um, Seema wanted to continue this really important work. So she approached Rachel Reeves, who was a Labour politician, a friend of Joe's, and um, basically cajoled Rachel into continuing this fantastic work on loneliness. And between the two of these wonderful, amazing women, um, they pulled together, along with our CEO of Joe's Foundation, Iona Lawrence, who does a huge amount of brilliant work on connection. Um, and working with all the amazing organizations who were already working on loneliness and isolation pulled together this amazing coalition of organizations. And by lobbying government, by doing the research, they ended up with the world's first ever Minister for Loneliness. Again, this was a, a, brilliant, a brilliant lady called Tracy Crouch and the world's first ever government strategy on loneliness. Um, and, you know, since then, it has been amazing, Kevin, to see the amount of work that has been done in the UK and beyond on this really important subject. And I'm incredibly proud that that's been done, a lot of it in Joe's name. The riding that she represented, Batley and Spen in West Yorkshire, uh, had a, a, a large number of immigrants, as, as many ridings now do in, uh, in the UK. And a lot of people remember her for her maiden speech in the house, which came almost a year to the day of her murder. So this was June 15th, 2015. And she had some very, very wise words to say. Let's have a listen. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's a great privilege to be called to make my maiden speech. Uh, many honourable and right honourable members will lay claim, I'm sure, to their constituencies being constituencies of two halves. 
or numerous parochial parts. I am another in that respect, and Batley in Spain is very much that kind of constituency, and it's a joy to represent such a diverse community. Batley in Spain is a gathering of typically independent, no-nonsense, proud Yorkshire towns and villages. Our communities have been deeply enhanced by immigration, be it Irish Catholics across the constituency or Muslims from Indian Gujarat or Pakistan, principally from Kashmir. And whilst we celebrate our diversity, the thing that surprises me time and time again as I travel around the constituency is that we are far more united and have far more in common than that which divides us. So that amazing words, wise words, and immigration once again tends to be dividing a lot of communities around the world. And yet she hit the nail on the head. There's more in common than, than what divides us. And I love how she says that that life in uh, Batley and Spen has been enriched by immigrants. Yeah, I mean, that, that maiden speech is... is is so moving and indeed so powerful and you're absolutely right it encapsulates the area where we live but it does so in a really positive way mm -hmm. and you know viewing something which many people sadly see as a, as a negative thing as a really positive thing and it is a really positive thing to live in a diverse community and I think that the expression more in common has come to resonate as something of a beacon of hope um, in difficult times in these past few years. Among those, though, reporting loneliness, a large number are immigrants around the world who, uh, you know, first of all, they're away from their home. Second of all, in a lot of their communities, they can be ostracized, victimized, just adding to the loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing about loneliness, you know, as I alluded to earlier, it can affect any of us at any time in our lives. Um, and it can affect particular groups in particular, whether that's people with disabilities, people who are uh, immigrants, people who are carers, you know, there's lots of different groups that, that, that can be affected. And you're absolutely right. If you come to a new country where you don't know anybody and you don't have a support network and you possibly don't speak the language, what a lonely place to be. Um, and that's why it's really important that we are strong communities who can embrace newcomers and support newcomers in a way that makes them feel welcome but also makes them then able to contribute to the community um you know we've, we've got to do that that's in everyone's interest to do that and you know I, like i say i love the way that joe talked about this area and, and and the fact that this was a strength um from different people moving here across generations so what do we do about loneliness what, what what can the joe cox foundation do i think the first thing and this is something that we've worked hard on these past few years is is reducing the stigma and starting a conversation and we've done like i say quite a lot of work on this is there a, is there a stigma with loneliness and certainly when we started doing this work a few years ago um there was a real feeling from people you don't want to put your hand up and say, I'm lonely. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there was a real, you know, problem with saying that. And, you know, people would talk about it in the third person or people who are lonely, but actually they were really speaking about themselves. But, but it was an embarrassment to say that you were lonely because I think there's something around loneliness that there's an assumption, well, you don't have any friends. And that's not the case. This is just about the depth of connection that you have with other human beings. And it's about the quality and the quantity so, again, you can have people who've got loads of friends and meet lots of different people, but they're not getting their emotional needs met. And that can feel really lonely. Um, equally, you know, you can have people who have got maybe 
a smaller number of people in their network, but are actually having their needs needs met emotionally from, from the, those individuals. Um, so it's looking at loneliness in the round, really, in terms of quality and quantity of connections. Um, and again, it's not the same as being alone. I think that's the other thing that people sometimes assume. It's absolutely fine. If you live on your own and you want to spend time on your own, that's a really positive, healthy thing often. But that's not the same as living on your own and, and really needing more human connection. So I think there is a stigma, but I think we are moving forward on that. And you know what? I, I've never really, you know, I, when you think about loneliness, you just think about loneliness, period. How do you solve loneliness? Make someone go out and talk to somebody. I, but then I look at your website and I look at some of the news releases. I never realized how many different issues are connected to loneliness. Look at this. Okay. Now there's, I'm looking at some of your press releases. So hidden loneliness, exploring the isolation caused by violence against women and girls. Make misogyny a hate crime. Um, let me see. Uh, protecting the 0.7% overseas aid budget. Women's equal participation in peace and security. Uh, and it goes on and on. Uh, genocide uh, in, in China. These are all part and parcel of loneliness. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of work through the foundation and we try and tackle a range of issues, um, as you've, as you've um, shown there. Yeah. We, do, we do an awful lot of stuff on, on women's empowerment and violence against women and girls, women in public life. Um, but you're right about loneliness being something of a thread through many of these issues. Um, and I think it's really important that we acknowledge that and we see the links with loneliness and lots of other problems. I mean, we, we set up an organization through the foundation this year because of lockdown and the pandemic called the Connection Coalition. And the Connection Coalition is partly about addressing loneliness and isolation, but we have two other key themes as well. One is grief and bereavement, and the second is mental health and well-being. Because I think you can't look at loneliness in isolation without looking at a range of other issues as well. Why do people feel lonely? And, and also what triggers that loneliness? Um, and, 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 you know, it, it's complex. It's far more complicated than, than you might initially think. And I think the good thing about that is there's lots of different ways to tackle it, depending on which group of people we're speaking about, depending on what has started people feeling lonely. Um, you know, there's a range of solutions. And that's, that's the good thing. It's interesting, you know, because you speak a lot about women and a lot of studies and just looking up some here right now are, are saying that, yes, women are more prone to loneliness. Uh, they're still trying to figure out exactly why, but one of the reasons they feel may just be the social habits of men and women. Women tend to be more outgoing and, and, and social than some men. Yeah, I, th I think it varies. I mean, I mean, it's, there is a slight gender imbalance from what I can remember about the statistics, but I think it's also important to say that, that, that men can feel lonely too. And I think we've seen a huge amount of work done, certainly in the UK in recent time, on men's mental health and well-being. And, and, and I think this is a really important piece of work. You know, men's suicide, particularly amongst young men in this country, is, is a worrying statistic. And that was something else that Jo had found when she'd done her research. We have to look at, you know, this across, across both genders um, rather than focusing on, on, on just women. I think we, we have to do both. Um, but again, I think it depends less on gender, more about what's going on in your life. So again, if you are a single mum, 
who's gone home with a baby, there's a lot of research around single mums feeling very lonely um, because often their only connection with another human being can be their baby. So they're lacking those deeper adult connections. Um, but I think, again, if you're an unemployed young man, and sadly, there's going to be quite a lot of those in, in the coming months, that can be a very lonely place to be. Indeed. And, and I mean, it can simply start as loneliness. Loneliness can lead to depression. Depression can lead to mental illness, can lead to heart disease. And as your studies are finding out, can actually be connected to extremism. Yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? The, the loneliness might be the starting point, but, but it can lead you down very dangerous paths and very worrying paths. And you're absolutely right to make the link between mental health and well-being and physical health and well-being um you know one of the statistics that gets used a lot is you know being lonely um for a, a prolonged period of time can be as bad for your physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day now that's bonkers isn't it that when you think about it but it, this is not just about mental health which is clearly a huge part of it but there's a physical impact as well there's all sorts of statistics around people um going to their doctor using NHS services in England, using medical services. And really the underlying problem is loneliness. Um, you know, a lot of wasted doctor's appointments by people who really just want someone to speak to. Um, so, so that's one side of it. And then, and then yeah, I guess, I guess the real dark side of that is, is the link to extremism, which, again, sadly, because so many of us have been stuck at home in recent months, um, there's a growing um, rise in right-wing extremism, particularly amongst young men who are on the computer being subject to influencers, which really are not going to do them any good or, or society any good. So that is also a real worry. Yeah. In fact, that is one of the chief methods of recruiting for extremist groups is that they target young men, especially uh, out there. Hey, you're lonely. You need some friends. Nobody seems to understand you. We do. And we're your yeah. pals. And there's a camaraderie. It, it, it's a social club. Yeah, to begin totally with. right, Kevin. Totally right. And, and it's about, for me, and this is the work that we do through the foundation and through the, the great get together campaign that we do, particularly about how we can have communities where everybody has a sense of identity and a sense of belonging. Because if we don't have communities where young people have that, extremists will give them that identity. And it's the same for right wing extremism and Islamist extremism. You know, this is your home. Come to us. We'll make you feel loved. We'll make you feel cared for. And actually, that's not what the agenda is at all. So I think the way to tackle this, certainly from our perspective, is looking at how we can build strong, compassionate, well-connected communities. It's time for the Me Three, and that, of course, are the, the three items, three things. I always ask my guests to come up with three simple things people can do to improve their mental health, in this case, to combat loneliness. One, two, three. However, Kim, this is unprecedented in the history of this podcast. Yes, I know we're only a few episodes in, but you don't have a me three, you have a me five, five things people can do. Where does that come from? Greedy English woman. Um, <laughs> yes, what it is, we've got the, the great winter get together campaign that we um, have just launched actually here in the UK, but we'd love people in Canada to get involved as well. Um, and we've got a five week campaign which takes us through the Christmas period and into the new year. And it's five ways that people can reach out and connect and try and face loneliness together one connection at a time. So each week has got a theme. So week one is about saying thank you. 
um, and we're encouraging people to um, say thank you to people who have helped them this year, particularly during lockdown and through the pandemic. So that might be by sending a thank you card. It might be by writing a thank you letter. Uh, it might be by a lovely gesture of buying someone who's helped you a bunch of flowers or, or, or something like that. Mm. So that's the thank you. And this is something that a lot of my guests talk about, and that is gratefulness. Mm. It goes a long way to mental health, uh, to good mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Showing your appreciation. And I think there is also something equally as powerful in saying thank you as being thanked. Um, I mean, the sense of, of satisfaction that you get from just saying, do you know what, you've really helped me today. I think that's a really powerful thing to do as well for the for the person as well as the person that they're thanking. And, and you know, sometimes people don't expect it to. And and some even for some of the small things, because I know I've been on uh, a transit bus and I've noticed the driver greeting every single person with an individual greeting as I'm as I'm you know riding along. And you know, it made my day more pleasant. I'm sure it made their day more pleasant. So you know what I did. I called, I called the bus company and, and I told on them, <laughs> but, but I said, this, this made a difference. And they said, you know, we don't get that very often. We get people complaining, complaining. And, and that. So they, they were thrilled with it. He was thrilled with it. It went a long way more than I expected yeah. it to. It makes a huge difference. I had a similar experience recently. I've just moved house and I had to go to the solicitors for something and they were absolutely brilliant in how they dealt with this thing that's needed sorting out very quickly. And I said to the solicitor, I said, can you please just pass on to your staff how amazingly helpful they've been? And he actually said to me, Kim, can you just come and tell them? He said, <laughs> at the moment, all they're getting is abuse from people who are frustrated yeah. because things are taking so long. So I went, I said, look, thank you so much. I put some money on the counter. I said, go buy everyone some chocolates. <laughs> and, you know, but the sense of, of, of satisfaction that that gave me by doing that, I came out feeling all warm and fuzzy. And yeah. that's wonderful, isn't it? And, and like you say, you know, we're very quick, particularly in the UK, we're very quick to complain and moan. But sometimes we just need to say, do you know what? Good job. Well done. That was brilliant. That's fantastic. All right. Number two. So number two is about reaching out. Okay. Um, and, and this is really about reaching out to potentially somebody you might have lost contact with, maybe even someone you've fallen out with. Um, someone who you think, you know what, I've not been in touch with them for such a long time. I really need to pick up the phone or I really need to write them a letter and just let them know I'm thinking about them. So it's about reaching out. Um, and I think, yeah, but thing, you know what? No, it was their fault. Let them reach out. Yeah, we've got to be the big, we've got to be the bigger person. Um, so you're right, but someone's got to make that first move, haven't they? So mm -hmm. I think that there's part of that, and that's why that the great winter get together is such a good platform for doing that. That you know, because sometimes oh, who's going to make the first move? When are we going to do it? Well, actually, oh gosh, that bonkers woman from England was talking about the great winter get together. Why don't I use that as my opportunity? Well, feel free. Um, so reaching out to somebody, you know, reach it could be a neighbour, it could be someone who lives hundreds of miles away, but just reach out. To to them and just check in on them make sure they're doing okay maybe apologize maybe just you know whatever it is that you need to do but use this as an opportunity to reach out and it might be that actually this also works in reverse so if you're the person who is struggling if you're the person who is feeling a bit low and a bit lonely reach out do not be embarrassed about asking for help one of the things that i've learned in the past few years is asking for help is a strength it's not a weakness. And to be honest, Kevin, I'm dreadful at asking for help. I'm a real soldier. I just power through and get on with it. And actually, sometimes it takes a much stronger person to say, 
anybody just give me a little bit of a hand here because I'm struggling a bit so be the one who reaches out and says could someone just you know give me a little bit of support it's a strong thing to do mm-hmm. all right number three Number three is show. So number three is is very much about a practical sort of act of showing some kindness. Um, But it doesn't have to be a big grand gesture. It can be just a small act of kindness, like dropping some baking off at one of your neighbours. It could be about, do you have wheelie bins in Canada? Do you have trash cans? Yes, on the the wheels. Yeah, yeah. Can you wheel your neighbours wheelie bin out? Yeah. They're struggling. You know, uh, so or, or bringing it back because you know it, you know it's empty, so you, they're not home or they haven't been home. It, it's kind of nice that they come home and their trash bin has been brought back up to the to the side of their house. Exactly, exactly. So just something as simple as that. Very simple. What you could do is put a little note on saying, "Hope your day is going okay. Thought I'd bring the, <laughs> the trash can back for you." You know, something like that. Just that little bit of, of kindness and connection. Um, so we've had all sorts of things. I mean, we've been putting together here here in in Yorkshire. We've been putting together some some little bags of kindness to send out to people who live on their own. So we've got things in there like puzzle books and. Um, um, hand gels because of obviously because of COVID we've got little games that they can play all sorts of little things and they don't cost a lot of money they're just a few pounds but we've been sending them out through local charities who deal with people who, who live on their own so just those little acts of kindness and compassion I think is about the, the show hey you know what I just had an idea you could add a little address book to those packages of kindness so you tell people listen Start writing down all the people you know, and then ask yourself, in a, maybe put a little check mark in there, I haven't talked to them in a couple of years or a couple of months. It's a hint, That's a hint. really nice idea. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> nice idea. Yeah, that's a lovely idea. And um, we have had some, um, which are sort of little like journals for people to write in and talk yeah. about how they're feeling. So it's very much about mindfulness and mental health and well-being. Um, so just, you know, jotting down how you're feeling today and accepting that it's okay to feel like that. Um, so yeah, and, and again, they don't cost much money. It's just a little bit of yeah. thoughtfulness. And that leads very nicely into the unprecedented number four. Yes, yeah, sorry, we're in new territory. Yeah. So number four is about understanding loneliness. Yeah. And I guess uh, pretty much like you've done, Kevin, brilliantly, is just doing a bit of research, just trying to understand what loneliness means for different people and, and acknowledging this is not just about the elderly. It's not just about people who live on their own. It's about people who on the surface may have very full, exciting lives, maybe living their life through social media and, and telling everyone how fantastic it is. But actually behind the scenes, they might be feeling really lonely. We, well, we've, we've heard stories about celebrities who get mobbed by thousands of people wherever they go reporting they're lonely. Yeah, absolutely. Because and I, I would imagine being famous is actually a very lonely place at times yeah. um, because you've got a bit like I said earlier, you've got a huge quantity of connections. But how much quality have you got? And if you're, you know, if you're rich and famous, who can you trust and who actually wants to yeah. be your friend to be your friend? You know, and, and those sorts of issues. So it, I think um, understanding the many layers to loneliness is, is, is what we're asking people to try and do. And I think this pandemic is giving us a bit of an insight to that kind of life because as a, as a, as a major celebrity, you can't go to the grocery store, you can't go to the mall, you can't just simply go to the park. So now we, you know, we have to wear a mask uh, wherever we go. And I find that, you know, as, as important as it is, not seeing someone's full face, 
makes it very lonely, even if you're right yeah. there. But but it's just, we it's more difficult to connect, isn't it? It's much more difficult. To yeah, connect. But we've got to get really good at reading people's eyes. <laughs> but now we realize we're sitting at home when uh, you know what I feel like going downtown, or I feel like doing this. I feel like like going to to the mall just to people watch, yeah. and we we can't do that. So yes, understanding loneliness. Yeah, and I think that does link in to to sort of understanding loss, um, because you know sadly because of because of COVID we've so many people have experienced a sense of loss and I think it's important to acknowledge that's not just for sadly for many people a loss of loved ones it's the loss of our freedoms it's the loss of our freedoms and it's a loss of our human connections and I think understanding that and acknowledging that is really important um, and having a conversation about what that's like we've just set up some project work locally where we've got people to share their experiences of lockdown uh, and what it's been like for them this year all different ages all different backgrounds and, and talking about what that feels like, understanding what that feels like for yourself and for others. I think that's a really powerful thing to do. And it's something we always say on this show, and that is, you are not alone. And I think once you start understanding loneliness, researching it and looking into it, you'll realize, I guess I'm not the only one. And just that little bit less lonely now. I'm just a little bit less lonely now because yeah. I know I'm not the only one. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. All right, hurry up. Number five, go ahead. Number five, coming in. Uh, the last thing about um, about our Great Winter Get Together campaign is, is help. And, and what we mean by this um, is helping out within your community um, and potentially doing that through volunteering. We have seen in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in Canada, how communities have pulled together under the most challenging of circumstances. And a lot of that stuff has been done by volunteers, by normal people who just wanted to help. They saw that people were struggling. They saw that there was a need there and they just got out of their chairs, got out of their houses and helped out. Um, so whether that was volunteering at the food banks, whether that was uh, volunteering on telephone befriending service lines, whatever it was, we've seen people do amazing things. And I think we need to keep that going. We need to keep that spirit of community and togetherness going. And what I've learned in the past few years, having come into the, the charity sector as a result of Joe's murder, is that there are some amazing organisations and groups doing amazing things, but they always need more volunteers. They always need more people to be the boots on the ground helping out. And that's our last call to action. Don't let the great win together, get together, end uh, at the end of the campaign. Keep it going by helping out in your community. Yeah, and, and I, I know for a fact that crisis lines are overwhelmed and they're begging for volunteers. Um, the, the reputable crisis, well, they're all, uh, you know, the, the crisis lines will, will provide you with training, with support. Um, and I think it also will help if you are lonely, feeling lonely, feeling detached, it will help change that. And you can you can you can share your successes, hopefully with others. We we and again we hear time and time again. You know, whenever I've talked to someone regarding suicide, and uh, that most people who are talked off the ledge, if you will, say the same thing. Why did you come back off the ledge? You know, after someone had talked to them, say because that person just listened. They just listened. That's, I think that's a really important point is, is listening and we don't do enough of it. Listening and empathizing, I think, are two things that are so, so important. 
um, whether we're talking about loneliness specifically or whether we're talking about broader mental health. Um, we're very good at pausing, waiting to speak, and that's not the same as listening. Yeah. So we need to listen to what someone is telling us. We need to understand and empathise about their situation. And there are ways of volunteering where you can do that in a really powerful way. And you're absolutely right. You need appropriate training if you're going to do do mm-hmm. this in a very serious way. Um, but, you know, it, it could also be, like I say, about food distribution. It could be something a bit a bit more practical in, in a volunteering capacity. Um, there's lots of ways you can get involved in your community. Um, but, yeah, listening is totally, totally right, Kevin. We all need to do a little bit more of it. JoeCoxFoundation.org. That's J-O-C-O-X, JoeCoxFoundation.org. How can people help you guys out? So you can go on the Joe Cox Foundation website and have a look at the broader range of work of the foundation, um, and that will be wonderful. We are a charity, so you can obviously donate. Um, But what I'd really love people to do is get involved with the Great Winter Get Together, Um, and the website for that is www.greatgettogether.org. Um, you can sign up. I would love people in Canada to sign up and tell us what they're doing for the Great Winter Get Together this year, whether it's saying thank you to someone, whether it's reaching out, whether it's learning more about loneliness, all these acts of kindness and compassion that we've been talking about today. Um, you can go on the website and, and share your story, sign up to be involved in the campaign. That would be absolutely amazing. So you were very, you and Joe were, were, were close as young ladies growing up in uh, West Yorkshire. Um, you say she, she was, she was your older sister. Yeah, she was two years older. Uh, well, I can, I bet she's looking down right now. So proud of her little sister carrying on her legacy. And, uh, I, I wish you well, and I encourage people to go to joecoxfoundation.org and if nothing else, just to learn a little bit about Joe. Thank you very much, Kevin. That's really wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't always get it right. I'm, I'm doing my best as most of us are, aren't we? Um, I think the other thing that keeps me going is Jo's children. She's got a little boy and a little girl who are just the most wonderful human beings. And I think, you know, hopefully I'm making their mum proud and I'm hopefully making them proud as well. Any thoughts or any calls from the Labour Party wondering if uh, you might run to represent the good people of Batley and Spen? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm trying to stay out of politics. <laughs> as, I mean, everything we do is political, isn't it, with a small P. Um, I'm kind of staying out of that, you know, but never say never. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. Thank you very much, Kevin. You notice recurring themes when it comes to any topic dealing with our mental health. So for loneliness, as in good mental health, reaching out to others, even when you don't feel motivated to. Also, watching out for each other. Think of it like quitting smoking. It can be tough to do, but you will live longer and healthier when you make it happen. We continue to battle holiday depression all December here on The Happy Molecule. One way to do that is by giving. I encourage you to donate to my partner, Holiday Helpers, an organization that provides a Christmas to needy families. More than 700 families this year will get presents, needed clothing and household items, food for Christmas dinner, and a fully decorated Christmas tree thanks to your generosity. I hope you consider making a donation at holidayhelpers.org. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. 
please consider subscribing to this podcast and also check out the Happy Molecule Extra at thehappymolecule.com. There you'll find a link to a video version of this episode. Be able to join the conversation about mental health, learn about our Facebook Live show, and get a preview of upcoming episodes. You can email us at thehappymolecule at gmail.com. I'm Erin Davis, wishing you good mental health.